The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Ready to go for another weekend. We are back aboard to talk the sweet science and everything going on with it, including not one, not two, but three different, very intriguing fight cards. London, England, Phoenix, Arizona, Las Vegas, Nevada. So much to discuss in the preview mode. Great to have you with us. I am merely the somewhat capable host. He is our insider, our content partner on Big Fight Weekend. Good to be back with Dan Rayfield. How are we feeling as we march along? How are things? Things are good. It's been a busy week, and we got some good fights this weekend, I hope. There's no doubt about that. There's definitely diverse fights uh, on a couple of different continents that we will talk about. Reminder again, however you found this podcast, uh, again, Dan's done a great job blowing the bugle, as I like to say, on social media, whether you found us that way through the Big Fight Weekend website. Uh, Don't forget that you can follow or subscribe. We're in the preview mode, usually out on Fridays by midday for the fights, usually that are on Saturday. Sometimes there's a big-time fight on Friday, whatever, but usually we're out Friday midday. Uh, on the Big Fight Weekend Preview, you'll get it automatically if you're following or subscribing on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we want to also say up front, we've got a brand new thing that we're going to be doing with BetUS. Uh, they're a sponsor with us, and BetUS, man, did they just, uh, I mean, uh, th- we must be male models, Dan. They want us <laughs> on the BetUS TV show talking boxing and making some fight picks against the spread and over-unders, et cetera. So beginning this Friday, and, and you may not see it live, but Friday live at 1 Eastern time, uh, and for the foreseeable future, we're going to be on BetUS, and they can see it afterwards, archived through BetUS TV, BetUS's YouTube page, their social platforms. So you and I, we can't get enough of each other. We'll be talking on BetUS <laughs> as well, my friend. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to that. That will be a lot of fun for sure. Okay, so enough of the promotion. Let's get to some news of the week, and then we got fight cards to predict uh, and talk about a little bit on this podcast. Let's begin some late Thursday night news. Uh, Full disclosure, you and I are doing this on Thursday evening to release on Friday. Mm -hmm. And and I I hardly knew ye on the Ryan Garcia, Isaac Cruz. I thought we were doing this. Ryan Garcia, Isaac Cruz, WBC mandatory fight for the number one contender. Now we ain't doing this. Tell me me more. What's going on? I'm not totally shocked because, in my opinion, and it's not the boxer. It's not Isaac Cruz. He's a warrior. He'll fight whoever. His team, PBC, uh, Pacquiao Promotions, they just don't want to make a fight with Golden Boy. They don't want to do a fight on zone. They should have gotten on the ground and kissed the feet of Mauricio Suleiman from the WBC for giving them a 50-50 split in what would have potentially been a purse bid if they couldn't have negotiated the deal. And you and I both know there's no way in the history of the world that Isaac Cruz deserves 50% against Ryan Garcia, who was an actual revenue generator. Isaac Cruz is a B-side, a good fighter. I'm not knocking him at all, but he's never sold a ticket. He's never been attraction. He, you know, he just is an excellent lightweight contender. But for him to get 50-50, I thought that might be possibly enough to get them to do the deal. They could have given him 80%, 90%. They weren't doing a fight with Golden Boy the negotiated way or a purse bid. I, I believe that Ryan Garcia absolutely wants that fight. Uh, I believe that Golden Boy in a, in a heartbeat would have made that fight if there was interest on the on the behalf of of uh, of the Pitbull Cruz team. Uh, it just wasn't meant to be. So the WBC said, uh, and I and look, I have respect for Mauricio. I've known him a long time. I actually like Mauricio. Uh, he gets a bad rap from a lot of people, in my opinion, about a lot of things. Even though he and I we have some terrible arguments, so we don't agree on a lot of stuff, but <laughs> doesn't make him a bad dude. But here's the point, though. 
in his statement where he said that the other that the two fighters, Ryan Garcia and Isaac Cruz, had other fights and therefore it was canceled. He, in my opinion, was wrong. And I told him this in full disclosure. I was messaging with him earlier and I told him that I thought he handled it in, in, in not the best way by giving the, the, the fighters and their teams cover for no reason. He said they had other fights scheduled. And that's bullshit. They don't have other fights scheduled. Ryan Garcia has the probability of a July 16th date on DAZN. No fight set, no venue set, probably Staples Center or Crypto.com Arena, whatever they're calling it these days. Uh, but no no set opponent. They're talking to some guys. Uh, but there's no fight. Cruz would have, it's July 16th is far enough away where that fight would could be made with no problem. And likewise, Isaac Cruz has absolutely nothing scheduled either. I was told by somebody on his team uh, when I asked earlier this evening after this uh, uh, announcement from the WBC came out, and it was said to me, well, he's, he's got maybe a fight in August on a, on a, on a big card. It's not going to be the main event. If he was the, against Garcia, he's the main event. He'd probably fight on like a, on a, on a PBC card in August. You know, I'm thinking maybe if this uh, Andy Ruiz, King Kong Ortiz fight gets made, maybe he finds his way on that undercard. But the point is, they don't have set fights, so why give them cover? This was just a situation where fighters from opposite promoters who won't talk to each other, uh, they weren't going to make a deal. And uh, I, I was going to say, can I interject? You talked to Ryan Garcia exclusively one-on-one. -on -one. He said, this is who I want to fight. You talked Absolutely. to Oscar De La Hoya subsequently after that and said, we love this fight. But Oscar at the same time was also saying everywhere, including sort of implying it with you, I don't like the chances of it happening because Al Heyman isn't going to agree. He isn't going to allow it to happen with PBC and their outlets. TJ, here's what you got to know about this, okay? Say whatever you want about Oscar De La Hoya. He has a long track record of making fights, even if it's with other promoters. It's just a fact. Heyman doesn't, But see, I also, But also, I know the history here, and you got to give me a little credit because I study up on this. I try to keep up with you. I'm not you. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya and Bob Arum sued Al Heyman long ago, and Heyman apparently is just going to have the memory of an elephant and never going to cooperate with him and do anything with him unless he absolutely has to. Isn't that fair? We keep seeing it I mean, over and over again, right? It's usually the case, but not always the case. There are exceptions. For example, they were able to do Sean Porter against Terrence Crawford. I'm not sure that why that was helping De La Hoya. That was more. Well, oh, no, they're not. Right. Coming, but that was a Bob Arum fight. Yeah, right. You know, and likewise, again, it was a, it was a, a lot more money and a bigger deal and mm -hmm. pressure from the boxers. Uh, they were able to do two deals for Tyson Fury against Deontay Wilder. But the point is, you know, even a blind squirrel gets a nut once in a while. It's not a common thing for them to do business. And in this particular case where it's not a big mega fight mm -hmm. in terms of the overall money they just weren't going to do a fight with golden boy and that's unfortunate because you know it, it robs isaac cruz of a great opportunity it robs ryan garcia of a great opportunity and frankly it robs you me and all the other boxing fans out there of a fight that a lot of people have been very interested in so it's not happening let's move on i agree we move on by the way you also wrote about this um it kind of, it kind of interesting and it's along the same lines uh, not surprising either, and you had a little more insight. Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy announcing they've re-upped with DAZN. Is it, a, it is an extension? Is it an actual new three-year deal with different terms? You've done some reporting for us on Big Fight Weekend and on your Substack about this, so it kind of coincides with what we're talking about. Their dance partner, Golden Boy, is the DAZN streaming service again. Absolutely, and this is a great thing for Golden Boy because they now have a home 100% for their, for their events for the next three years, and likewise, DAZN has a American-based promoter to put on events on a regular basis. Obviously, they have a lot of events with Matchroom Boxing, but Matchroom shows are sporadic in the United States. They do do some of them, of course, and they also do uh, a bulk of their events in the UK. But to have an American-based promoter 
uh, with a lot of American-based fighters is good for an American uh, version of their streaming service. So uh, I think it's a great thing for boxing fans, for Golden Boy, for DAZN, for everybody involved. That said, uh, and I've been writing about this since November, that's when the deals, uh, when they started to negotiate this deal. They had a, an agreement that they started in 2018 when they first went to DAZN with Canelo Alvarez that was a five-year deal. When they got into their litigation and, and, and that contracts were terminated and, and Canelo sued, Golden Boy lost Canelo. He left his own, even though he ultimately came back on a deal with Matchroom. Um, but they, they renegotiated their deal. That part of the deal was up at the end of last year. And since November, they've been negotiating this new deal. Now, they've been working in good faith with each other, which is why you've seen Golden Boy events on the zone so far in 2022. Now, they finally got that deal that I've been reporting about for the last few months. It's finally finalized, done, signed, sealed, and delivered, backdated, essentially, to when they started doing those events earlier in the year. And so, yeah, it's a new three-year deal, um, you know, that will take them through the calendar year of 2024. And uh, they'll continue doing their their sort of premium events, the ones with the bigger names, the Virgil Ortiz, Zerto Ramirez, Ryan Garcia, uh, Jaime Munguia, and, and some of their other uh, fighters that, that are at, at a more of a higher level. But part of the deal also calls for a, a uh, prospect development series, you know, a la a showbox, a la, you know, maybe a Friday night fights from the old ESPN2 series where they have younger fighters and they try to match them in somewhat competitive fights to build them up. Uh, that's the Thursday night series that'll be, you know, at least for the first year, like roughly every other month, they have six in the first year. It could be more depending on how successful it is. But that'll be another place for Golden Boy to keep some of the younger fighters busy. Um, obviously a lesser budget, um, but it's more more fights for us fans. It's not a Friday or a Saturday. Largely, they'll be on Thursdays in Southern California. So more fights. And look, I'm glad they all got it done. And, uh, you know, it's good because it gives some clarity to to Golden Boy. Uh, in terms of knowing that there's events coming, they can keep their fighters busy. Maybe they can sign more fighters. Uh, there'll be regular revenue coming in. It's just, uh, and it's good for us because we get more fights. A lot more content. Uh, by the way, we'll be uh, speaking on and predicting more on the fight cards this weekend as part of the preview podcast a little bit. Still going through news of the week. You mentioned Mungia. Try not to snicker before I get this out. Mungia's new opponent, and Dan is shaking his head. I can see him. You folks can't on the audio podcast. You can Mung show this on the video clip. Uh, oh yeah, I probably God. will at some point. Dan is wiping his brow. Dan is Dan is uh, chagrined. What What is this fight? I mean, they, they were talking again. Here we go again to PBC. Uh, slash Showtime about Jamal Charlo. How far do I have to look down with binoculars for this guy that Munguia is now fighting instead because he didn't get the Charlo fight? It's really, Jimmy Charlo Kelly. Was, this is not the former Buffalo Bills quarterback, Jim Kelly. This is Jimmy Kelly from over in England. What is this, please? This is a pile of crap. That's what this is. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be blunt. I mean, here's the thing. Charlo, that was off a long time ago. There was, right. a, you know, we, they want to do it on pay-per-view, uh, shared. It was That was never happening. What, what really was being negotiated in the more recent times was, and this was legit, they were trying to make a deal between the Dumonguia against Danny Jacobs, who was coming off of a, a, a close decision loss uh, in a super middleweight fight over in the UK to John Ryder. But most people thought that that uh, that Jacobs kind of got the, the short end and was the rightful winner. They were going to make the fight at a catch weight, uh, you know, because Mungia has been fighting at 160. Danny's been fighting at 168. And that would have been a good fight. Two good names, you know, both, you know, in usually entertaining fights, whatever. They were unable to come to terms with that. They went, They then tried to make a fight between Mungia and uh, an in-house fight with Golden Boys uh, uh, fighter Shane Mosley Jr. Obviously, that's a little bit of a lesser fight than, than a Danny Jacobs fight, but still some intrigue. Mosley's coming off a good win. He's been in some exciting fights. A name, uh, a name. You know, a name, exactly. So, but they were not able to close that deal. Uh, I guess in the end, Mosley decided either he didn't want the fight or he wasn't happy with the purse, whatever. That fight wasn't happening. So now they go to the next one 
And they come up with Jimmy Kelly from the UK, who, you know, he's coming off the upset against Kinnat Islam, but whatever. Come on, come on. Here's a guy in Mungia, super exciting, always in a good fight, usually. 154 pound champion a few years ago. Since he's come up to 160, this is, he's had like five fights in a row against just nothing opponents, all, you know, generally Are you speaking. saying that Spike O'Sullivan and Demetrius Meech Ballard and now Jimmy Kelly is not exactly what we were hoping for with Mungia? Right, I mean, look, he had a time. solid fight with like Gabe Rosado, who I always respect for what he gives. Okay. And that was okay. I have no quarrel with that. But generally speaking, when you're in that position, remember, keep this in mind. When he gave up the junior middleweight belt at the WBO and he went up to middleweight, because of their rules, automatically, and this has been taken advantage of numerous times by, by several boxers, including Demetrius Andre, Terrence Crawford, and several others over the years, he can automatically become the number one contender for the new, the new weight class. So at any time when he went to middleweight, uh, rather, yeah, when he went to, to went to middleweight, he could have gotten the title shot against Demetrius Andre time and again. They constantly said no. They didn't ask for it. They turned it down. And I almost threw up when I read the quote about how Munguia saying in the announcement that he's having this fight, it's going to be a big test and it puts me on track for a world title fight. And that's a load of shit also because he could have had the title shot anytime he wanted it so for the last two did, years. If I why are you getting me all upset? I understand you're worked up, but why did the Andre fight not happen over the course of two years? Because Munguia's people don't want the fight. I was going to say because I was going to say Southpaw tough to hit could embarrass you, whatever. So they just, because Demetrius Andre has been the most relentlessly ducked fighter of yeah. the last decade. Yeah. Say whatever you want. Yeah. You know, years ago he took some bad advice and he turned down a showtime fight with Charlo, but he shouldn't be defined by that for the next right. five, six, seven, eight years. You know, that was a one-time thing. He hasn't gotten a big fight since then. And he's a super talented fighter an undefeated two division champion, a former Olympian for the United States of America, a former uh, world amateur champion. And this guy can't get anybody to fight him. That's worth, you know, a name. And Jaime Munguia could have had that fight at any moment. And now he's fighting Jimmy Kelly. So, you know what? Good for him. Let him go fight Jimmy Kelly. Uh, Andre, maybe like the Winky Wright 2.0 guys don't want to fight you because of your style. At least, at least Winky Wright got the opportunity because Shane Mosley's a man's man and he stepped up and he fought the go. guy twice. And we covered that before too. All right. Just one or two more moments here with this. And then I want to reference your podcast interview with Amir Khan earlier this week, where he had some very interesting comments. We're going to do that in just a second. One more note, Josh, uh, Taylor, the 140-pound former undisputed champion, now no longer the WBA champion. He keeps saying, I relinquished it. They're saying we stripped him. He doesn't want to fight the fighter we want him to fight that nobody's ever heard of. Okay, we all thought he might move up to welterweight, but you've learned, you wrote about this. He's actually looking at fighting still at 140 and defending against the WBC mandatory. Pick up on it, please, sir. Yeah, I mean, so he didn't want to fight Albert Puyo from the Dominican Republic, who nobody ever heard of, who they, you know, had had a purse bid for. That was clearly never going to happen because his own team didn't bid on the fight. And that was obviously because he didn't have any interest in doing that. Otherwise, top rank would have certainly bid on the fight. Um, so they took away the WBA title. OK, whatever. So he still got the other belts. But the fact is, the WBC mandatory uh, is also due. The WBC and the WBA actually had, according to the WBC, made an agreement that they were next and the WBA ignored that promise and went against it and ordered the other fight. And he didn't do the purse bid and he's not taking that match. But Jose Zapata is a much different situation. He's a bonafide contender. He's a real guy. He's coming off some good wins. He was in the 2020 fight of the year against Baranchik. 
He's uh, he's fought for the title before. You know, he got stopped in a lightweight fight many years ago because of a shoulder injury, not because he got knocked out. And he lost a super close majority decision, I believe, against Jose Ramirez in a fight that easily could have gone his way if it wasn't in Jose Ramirez's hometown. He's a real solid contender, has the knockout against Baranchik, coming off a KO1 against Joseph Vargas. That was very impressive. You know, he's a real contender. And uh, so that's that's the fight that uh, the the Taylor people asked Top Rank to pursue. Top Rank also is the co-promoter of Zapata with Zanford Promotion. So in terms of making a deal, it's a lot easier uh, than going outside of, of the of the stable. And so that that's a good you know, it's it's not a super fight, let's say it's not the caliber of, a, of the Ramirez undisputed fight. But there was nothing specific for him in terms of a big deal at, at welterweight. So there you go. I think in, in the point of Josh Taylor's, why am I going to go to welterweight to just fight a regular fight when I can still be a champion at 140 and still fight a solid guy and obviously make a lot of money for the fight. And so, um, you know, all things considered, I think Taylor's a paid is a worthy fight. Uh, no date yet. No, no site. But they got to figure all that out. But, uh, you know, a solid matchup. He's a, he's a bona fide. Other one thing, I know he may be struggling to make weight, but the rematch with Jack Catterall in the UK has got to be lucrative if they can have it, or at least good money if they can have it. And then the Regis Progre fight, I have been uh, wanting that. I don't know if it will ever materialize. You know this better than me, but that was a tremendous fight in the final of the World Boxing Super Series back a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic. I'd love to see that again. Again, we don't know if Taylor can continue to make 140 because he's complained um, about that, yeah. but it drains him. I don't know, but I'd love to see either one or both of those fights. Yeah, I mean, you can only fight one guy at a time, but I agree. Progress would be a, certainly a fine fight to make. Um, I'm not sure what the status of that situation is because uh, of his he, – he's with Probellum. They've got some issues because of their supposed uh, uh, ties to the to the Daniel Kinahan situation. People have sort of shied away from them right now in terms of American uh, you know, doing business with them, not just American, frankly. They lost their European TV deal because of that situation. So – that's sort of like on the back burner. You know, if you're if you're Josh Taylor, if you're top rank, if you're ESPN, you know, it's a lot easier just to do a solid fight like Zapata and not worry about whatever issues there may be related to uh, Probellum. So uh, Regis is sort of in a pickle in that situation. Uh, but I would like to see that rematch. And I, I suspect that down the road, whether it's a junior welterweight fight or a welterweight fight, uh, no reason why we can't see that down down a, a few fights from now. But for the time being, you know, we'll probably get a fight the end of the, you know later this year between uh, Josh Taylor and, uh, and Zapata. And I think that would be a good match. All right. Speaking of junior welterweights, you had an exclusive opportunity to talk with Amir Khan, former junior welterweight world champ who won a bunch of big time fights at the 140 pound division. Uh, comes to the end of his career. He's announced his retirement. So I, I want to play this for the audience. I thought there was, there was a lot of good stuff in the podcast. They need to go back and listen to it. But here was the specific part of Amir Khan talking to Dan Raphael about fighting Canelo Alvarez. This was compelling stuff about him taking the payday. Here he is in his own words, Amir Khan, earlier this week on the Fight Freaks Unite podcast. What in the world were you thinking of moving all the way up to fight Canelo Alvarez for the middleweight title? Granted, I know it was at a catch weight of 155, but he was so much bigger. And it just felt like, and I was there, it just felt like inevitable what was unfolding. I see Amir Khan boxing his brains out, easily beating Canelo Alvarez for the first few rounds. And it was just a matter of, at some point, when is Canelo going to catch up to him? See, in the first couple of rounds when I was fight, fighting him, I was catching him and I was I was moving around, hit, move, hit, move. And I thought, you know what, I can do this all the way. I have to just stick to my game plan and hit and move, hit and move and not get involved in anything. And then obviously I got too brave for my own good, and then he ended up catching me with an overhand right hand, which, which literally knocked me out, which it did, you know. And um, a lot of people were saying to me before the fight, "Are you crazy fighting this guy?" I go, "Look, fine. If he's going to make one five five, I've never made one five five, but 
I'll, uh, I'll fight at 155. I didn't think he was going to be that strong or that big. I remember looking at him in the corner of the fight when he walked in the ring. And I couldn't believe the size he put on. <laughs> right. I, tried to, I tried to get him to do a rehydration clause. But uh, Oscar said, hell no, he's not going to do that. And now he's so fighting 20 he pounds heavier than that. Right? He's Can now. You believe that? And so he shows how thick he is and big he is. So that's when I thought, you know what, wait a minute. When I looked at him in that corner, I thought, this is going to be. I have to keep on running. I can't stand there with him. He's going to kill me. Do you feel like it was a mistake to fight him because of how brutal that knockout was? Not really, no. I mean, look, it was a. You know, if I didn't take that fight because it was offered to me, I would have always thought, what would have happened? Yeah. If I could have outboxed him all the way through the 12 rounds. I mean, when that but happens, though, did, did you know you have, what happened in the fight? Do you, do you, I mean, that—that that, I mean, getting knocked out or being stopped or losing—I mean, that happens in boxing. But when it's that rough, I have to think, besides your own mind and, and feeling like that there's vulnerability, like it has to really like cause like like emotions for your family. Like I remember seeing like when Ricky Hatton got yeah. knocked out against Manny Pacquiao and just the agony that his girlfriend was in at ringside, like, she was hysterical. Like, that, and I, I don't know what your family was going through at that time with the Canelo fight, but I would think it's something sort of similar. Like, they don't want to see you get hurt. They don't want to see you get knocked out. I mean, losing is one thing, but that seemed, like, I rougher mean, than your normal knockout. It was a brutal knockout. It was a brutal knockout. It was really bad, and no family member or loved one wants to see their son or their husband or their, you know, loved one get knocked out like that. And I think... To be knocked out that, that was... I'm glad it was one punch. And right. you know, sometimes... I mean, when people say that, I go, look, I'm glad it was one punch every time. Because, you know, instead of taking a number of heavy shots, I think that in the long long, long term, it affects you more than just being knocked out with that one punch. Right, I can understand so that. Maybe, in a way, it was a blessing, you know? Instead of me taking, like, a numerous punches, amount of punches in the fight, at least I took that one big shot and I was out. So the thing I, I love, the honesty, that when he looked across the ring and he saw how huge Canelo had looked rehydrated, it was almost, I'm paraphrasing, oh, my God, here we exactly. go. What, what is your uh, take on all of that from Amir Khan and the honesty? Well, I mean, I asked him about, you know, now looking back, did he make the right decision by taking that fight, even though it was at 155 for the middleweight title, not all the way at the full 160. And Amir was never even that big of a guy at 147. And he said, you know, he's glad he took the, the fight because he thought he – you know, he would always wonder how he could have done against him. And the reality was he did really well against Canelo in those early rounds. You know, he was getting outboxed by Khan pretty handily. He was super fast and, and just giving him angles and moving all over the place. The question was, could he keep it up for 12 rounds? And as Amir said to me, he says, you know, I, I, I got confident. I was winning. I knew I couldn't get in a war with the guy, that I had to keep doing what I was doing. And uh, he got a little bit too, uh, uh, you know, engrossed in what he was doing. And, and, he, and then he kind of forgot about it a little bit and just takes one second and uh, boom, that's all she wrote with that big giant shot that knocked him out really badly. And he said it was a really bad knockout, you know, and, uh, you know, his he admitted, family. Scared yeah, his family. it was just a terrible knockout. But the thing about it was he doesn't regret taking the fight. You know, he made a huge amount of money for the match and um, went on to have some uh, some other fights after that. But one thing that was interesting to me, two things that stood out. The first thing was. He said that when they negotiated that fight, you remember they were both with Golden Boy at the time. He tried to get Canelo to do a rehydration clause, and and Oscar De La Hoya from Golden Boy, the you know the, the boss of that company, told Amir there was no that that you know he understood it, but there was no way they were going to do that, and that Canelo was going to agree to that. So that went out the window, and and that he was saying this to me as he's explaining like how huge he saw Canelo uh, being rehydrated when he got in the ring. The other thing that Amir said to me, which I found, you know, very very uh, honest, was. 
he he admitted he says he probably should have retired after the Canelo fight, and he did have you know uh, several more fights after that fight. But he said that might have been the best time for me to call it a day. That he admitted that maybe I I stuck around a year too long than I should have. But uh, look, Amir had a great career. I do hope people listen to that podcast because you want to talk about a guy that just wears his heart on his sleeve and is honest about his assessment in his career and, and what he did. It's worth a listen. Uh, you know, I think he's felt comfortable with me. I've known Amir his entire career. I've covered him for a long, long time. And, you know, he's, he's a, a good guy, a charitable person. Uh, and, and the thing that I want people to remember about his career is that win or lose, he never, he never uh, ducked a guy. He fought everybody, looked down that roster. I cited on the, on the interview with him and it kind of like took him back a minute because he was like, wow, I didn't really think about that. I listed off like literally 12 quality names that he fought during the course of his career. Uh, you know, several of them wins, several of them losses, but fought everybody. And, and, uh, but that stuff on Canelo was really interesting how we talked about uh, how big he was. So again, if they go back on the big fight weekend podcast feed to earlier in the week, fight freaks unite is Dan's a uh, little niche there. That's what he's got on his sub stack as well. And he's done a tremendous job. I mean, you've heard from the likes of Errol Spence and Ryan Garcia and Oscar De La Hoya. I'm going to leave something out. Eddie Hearn. Now you've heard from Amir Khan. This is why we partnered up with Dan. Go back and listen to Amir Khan. And let me just this say this. We've got, we've got more coming. We've got, we've got Devin Haney coming in advance Ooh, of his yeah. lightweight title mm -hmm. uh, undisputed fight against uh, George Cambosis coming up. So that'll be uh, sometime uh, when, whenever we decide to drop that. And because uh, I had a chance to spend some time with Devin when I was in Las Vegas uh, at the gym uh, a couple of days before the Canelo uh, B-Bowl fight. And, uh, you know, we've got some other stuff we're lining up, but, uh, you know, Devin Haney will have in the near future. And again, if they're following or subscribed to this podcast, you'll get it automatically when it's out. We don't even have to tell you social media link. It's just there as it was midweek. Uh, on this okay so good good stuff there with amir khan i promise stand by dan we've got good stuff coming up because we're ready to talk about the three different fight cards the triple header from london to phoenix to vegas uh very interesting diverse fights that are upcoming we'll talk all about them as we roll on we're back on big fight weekend now here's your host tj reeves Back in once more. Love the insight of Dan Raphael with me, our insider, our content partner. Time to uh, roll the sleeves up. This is what we do on the Big Fight Weekend Preview and preview the weekend. Not one, not two, but three different intriguing fight cards that are forthcoming uh, here. Let's begin with the Showtime PBC card in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Phoenix's David Benavidez back there in his hometown, his home area, fighting David Lemieux, super middleweight. WBC kind of uh, whatever uh, interim somebody interim title. Be a placeholder is that what they're calling it now WBC makes this stuff up so all right they're <laughs> calling it the interim title holder Benavides on our bet us line is heavily favored over the veteran Lemieux former world title challenger all right what's your thought Dan Rayfield on this one with Benavides minus 3000 he's a significant favorite in this uh, Showtime main event I mean Lemieux's been a good fighter for a long time he is a former middleweight title holder uh, but if you, if you consider them to be of similar level of talent, let's say, you know, bigger man, bigger punch, younger, fresher, uh, naturally larger, been a little bit more active, like everything in the, in the, in the list of things you would check off would go in Benavidez's favor. Obviously David Lemieux, at least as a middleweight, his, his resume as a super middleweight is really a very, a very uh, underdeveloped at this point. It's just been a couple of fights where he was maybe a little over the weight, whatever. He doesn't have a track record as a super middleweight. As a middleweight, he was one of the most devastating punchers in boxing, but he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. Um, I, I see no, I, unless he lands the pinpoint shot on Lemieux's chin, 
I mean, on, on Benavides' chin. And by the way, Benavides has always shown to be a very sturdy fighter. I've never, to my recollection, seen him hurt or rocked or down or anything like that. Uh, you know, it stands to reason that uh, that uh, that that those that line is in. It makes sense. He should be the big favorite. Um, I think it could be exciting, but I still think that in the end, Benavides probably wins and does so pretty handily. Uh, Lemieux has been stopped before. Benavides is a good puncher. I like him by a knockout. Uh, to me, it's just a matter of not if he stops him, it's how long it's going to take to stop him. It's going to be up to David Lemieux to show us that he can take a shot of the bigger, stronger guy in that weight class. You know, so many times we sit here and kick these around, and this is unusual on the Bet US line. The over-under is only four and a half. A lot of these fights, it's at least six and a half, half the fight. It's a 12-round fight. A lot of times it's nine and a half on the over-under. Does that surprise you? Because that that means the odd, odds makers, and I've seen a couple of other places where it's four and a half or five, five and a half. Does it surprise you that it's that low that everybody's thinking Benavides to maybe get Lemieux out of there and quickly? What do you think? Real quick? it, it, that does surprise me a little bit. I mean, honestly, I might take the over on that. I say that because in, even though Lemieux has been beaten before, he got stopped by Triple G in a middleweight title unification fight and triple G at his, you know, at his peak really was one of the greatest punchers in the history of the world that took him eight rounds to stop Lemieux. And and the other loss uh, that came after that was a distance fight where he lost, uh, uh, you know, uh, unanimously to Billy Joe Saunders, where he just got toyed with in terms of boxing. Um, and Benavides is a good puncher, but I've never known him to be or thought of him as a one punch knockout artist. I think he just sort of beats him down and it takes him, you know, into the second half of maybe like right around halfway through, but I, I would take the over. I would take the over on that. Uh, Interesting. But uh, you just never know. All right. Uh, top rank card. Also, was there anything else on the PBC card that, that stuck out? Not not worthy enough? No, I mean, that's on? the main fight. There's a couple other televised matchups that are uh, on that show. But the main the main fights, I think, that we're all interested in is, is that main event with uh, David Benavides. You know, look, a lot of people wanted to see him fight Canelo. Uh, there'll be maybe a, a lot of people. He was, that his, own, want to he was see his own worst enemy. Failed a drug test long ago for cocaine and then and then showed up, what, three or four pounds overweight. Uh, yeah, got stripped of the title. And got stripped of his title. He's been his own worst enemy. Let's see if he can get it yep. back together. Benavides sure. on that. All right. So top rank uh, has a fight card. You're interested, first of all, in the co-feature. Jamel Herring, the former 130-pound WBO world champion, is in the co-feature before the main event with Jermaine Ortiz. Thought on that real quick? I'm interested because uh, Jamel is coming off of the knockout loss last fall against Shakur Stevenson, where he lost his title. And now he's moving up in weight. And he's not just moving up and waiting, fighting and nobody. They're not giving him like some soft touch, easy fight. You know, Ortiz is a very solid guy. I've seen him fight a few times. He makes a good fight. I think he's a sturdy fighter and not that Herring is a big puncher. I think for a guy who's a little bit older, who's coming off a knockout loss, who's looking to get back in the mix, uh, for him to be willing to take on Ortiz, a younger fighter who's, you know, wants to make his bones and would love nothing more. If you listen to some of his pre-fight comments, to him, it's a big deal to be fighting his first former world champion to try to get the name of that of a, re, a very reputable guy in his record. Uh, he's hungry. It's an interesting fight, if you ask me. I mean, you know, look, I don't know what Jamel's got left. You know, he's a guy that's always given a maximum effort. He's always also a guy that's sort of, uh, in my mind, been an overachiever, that he's gotten more out of him just because of his hard work and diligence. Uh, and sometimes uh, that's not enough if you're taking on a guy that's, that's real hungry. You know, if Ortiz wins that fight, it won't shock me at all. I give Jim, uh, I give Jamel a lot of credit. He's come on this podcast before, Dan, uh, stand-up guy on that, and he's a former United States Marine serving in a forward area in Iraq as the gunner on a tank, and he's been very open about this with all the media, with you, with everybody. Uh, saw the interviews with uh, 
Mark Kriegel and top rank of you don't know from one day to the next, could I be killed sitting on top of a tank as a gunner? So don't tell me about life and death in a boxing right. ring. He's been dealing with that. So you root for the story. You root for guys like Jamel Hearing. And let's see how he does in the co-feature. Right, Dan's going to laugh at me. So we're going to go towards the main event now, the ESPN top-ranked main event. Janabek Alim Kanluli. How did I do on that from Uzbekistan? Do I get like a six on the last name pronunciation? Maybe a I'll seven. give you like a seven. We just call him Janabek. Janabek. So Janabek going for the WBO interim middleweight title. Danny Dignam from England. Uh, is the opponent here. What do we make of this? Janabek is favored. What do we make of this in the ESPN top rank main event real quick, please? This is the animal stalking, brawling, banging Janabek against more of a cutie boxer in Dignam. And to me, uh, Dignam may have tremendous boxing skills. I just have a hard time given Janabek's uh, aggressive nature and his ability to take a punch and deliver one. That, that he's going to be able to somehow keep him, uh, Dignam's going to be able to keep him off him for 12 rounds. I just don't see it happening. Uh, you know, I definitely favor Janabek heavily, uh, probably a stoppage. You know, I was thinking initially early, I talked to a few people that are that are very familiar with him also. They thought, yes, definitely a stoppage, but because they don't view Janabek as like a one-punch knockout guy, it maybe goes later, especially because Dignam is a good boxer. Um, but under it's, over to me, seven and a half rounds on that one. I'm taking the under but I know others that would take the over. Um, all that said, over or under, it's going to be a Janabek victory in my mind, no doubt about it. Very decorated fighter for Uzbekistan. Yeah, I mean, he was an Olympian yep. uh, from Kazakhstan. He was an Olympian Kazakhstan, from Kazakhstan. And, uh, you know, he's looked he's looked good in his recent fights. I mean, he's stopping guys. He knocked out, you know, Hassan Nadam, who he just abused. Uh, granted, he's yep. a little long in the tooth, but he was a former middleweight title holder. He, he destroyed him. Same with Robert Brandt, who also held a, a second-tier belt for a little bit. Um but he's got that amateur background and he's just, you just look at him and he looks like he's just, he's a wrecking machine in the boxing ring. And he, and he wants that. And he's not at look as much as, as Demetrius Andre has been avoided, you know, he decided to go to super middleweight to make an interim title fight with Zach Parker, which has subsequently been canceled because of Andre's shoulder injury, but he wasn't looking to fight Janabek because there wasn't a lot of money or recognition there. He wouldn't to try another division. So, so if Janabek wins and wins impressively, do we maybe circle back around to him fighting Andre, or you don't think that's going to happen? Not I don't think so. Andre's ever coming back to the middleweight division. Okay. I think that when he gets over his injury and the rehab is done in the next, you know, four or five, six months, that when he does get back in the ring, it'll be as a super middleweight. And uh, Janabek or, or Dignam, whoever wins, will be elevated to the full title holder. Uh, and uh, we'll never see uh, uh, Demetrius at 160 again. But Janabek is a guy that's going to be uh, in 160 for a while. He's going to be making some noise. He's going to be a guy that not a lot of people are going to want to fight. But once he has a world title, you hope that they'll have a little bit more bravery and decide they want to take that chance. Again, that's the ESPN top rank, a late Saturday night show, Eastern time, prime time in the West. Chronologically, we go backwards. The first of these triple headers will be the Matchroom Show O2 Arena in London. Light heavyweights, unbeaten jo uh, Joshua Buatzi. Buatzi, 15-0, former Olympian, bronze medalist, uh, again, a lot of interest in this in the UK. Craig Richards, the opponent, former world title challenger. What do you make of this real quick, Dan, in the afternoon U.S. time? It's like the Battle of London. They're both from London. They both fancy themselves, and it's not a ridiculous claim that they are probably the two best light heavyweights from, uh, from the U.K. at the moment. And uh, they're fighting in their, you know, in, in like a, a neighborhood battle, so to speak, uh, being that they're both from London. And, and obviously, Buasi is the guy on the rise, the undefeated fighter, the Olympian, uh, that, that is viewed as the A-side, is viewed as a former, or as a future, rather, 
a world champion. Uh, he's the favorite. But Richards, he's got a couple losses. But the, the one that people would know about, I guess, was from last year where he went 12 rounds and lost uh, in a title shot against Dimitri Bivol. We all know what Bivol is capable. We just saw him beat Canelo Alvarez uh, not that long ago. Uh, and Craig Richards, although he lost the decision to Bivol, he acquitted himself very well. Now, I, I chalked that up at the time to Bivol being very disinterested in an opponent like Richards that he didn't really know about. He kind of fought down to the level of opposition and still basically won like an 8-4 kind of fight. Um, but Craig Richards should get credit because he was in the ring also, and he went there and he did a, a good job fighting against Bivol. And, uh, you know, if he could hang with Bivol for 12 rounds, you know, who's to say he can't pull the upset and, and defeat a guy like Boazzi? Uh, all that said, hard not to favor Boazzi in that fight. Again, we should make mention that's a Saturday afternoon fight, U.S. time, probably somewhere around 5, 5.30 Eastern time on the Matchroom Show on DAZN. Adjust your time zone accordingly. Uh, Buatzi, again, is favored minus 6.50 on the bet U.S. line for what that is worth in that main event. That pretty much covers the preview mode here. Again, we remind you as we release the Big Fight Weekend podcast, Dan and I will be talking more on the BetUS TV boxing show that makes its debut on Friday, 1 Eastern time. It's live. They can jump in the chat. We'll be talking a lot about these same fights again. So if you heard the podcast, a lot of it may sound the same, but it's actually live on Friday. And again, if you're hearing us after 1 Eastern time, not only on this audio podcast, but that show will be archived on BetUS TV and also on the BetUS YouTube channel. One more time, real quick, Dan. We're excited to be there. We're going to be there every week right now. They're kind of trying to like we're like those TV shows back in the 80s and 90s that you and I love. We're like a summer show that maybe we get picked up for the fall. It is a start of a really good thing, we believe, with BetUS that we're going to be there every Friday, picking fights against the spread, but also taking live comments yeah. and questions from those. That's what I was going to say. So there'll be some. Absolutely. Of that as well. I mean, well, I'm totally excited about being with BetUS. You know, and they have, if you're if you're a, a gambler and, you, and you're interested in lines, I mean, they have all, obviously lots of other mm -hmm. sports. They have shows for baseball, football, hockey, all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. And so I'm super excited that when they decided to create a boxing show, they decided to go with us. Uh, so we're going to have a good time doing that. And as you mentioned, uh, one of the things that I'm excited about, besides just getting to, to, to talk about the fights again, is that there is going to be an area, you know, as it runs live on YouTube, where people like my, like we've done the videos on StreamYard mm -hmm. and, and like I used to do on the, on the chat, uh, you know, typing wise, people who are watching will be able to submit real time questions and then we can take their comments and questions and mix them in as we talk about the boxing matches and, you know, whatever the fans and the, and the, and the folks want us to talk about. So that's, uh, I think it's going to be a nice little addition and I'm, I'm, I'm couldn't be happier and more excited to get going. We're thrilled. Big things ahead on Big Fight Weekend and with BetUS, the BetUS TV show for the boxing uh, preview of each weekend will be 1 Eastern time, but you can obviously watch it later on through BetUS TV and their YouTube channel. They're going to be promoting it a bunch, as will we. We're done here. Now, only when, when, when they yeah. win money, when they win money in the fights at BetUS, do we get a cut? They, I don't know if we get a cut, but we <laughs> should get some credit and they should watch the show or they should tell their friends about the show if we help them out because all the advice is free. You don't have to pay for it here. Just don't come back to us when you don't win and you lost the light bill money or whatever, but that's how it work. Hey, we're good on the audio podcast. Dan, uh, great stuff again with Amir Khan. We encourage them to go back and listen to that. Thank you again. Let's see what happens with these fight cards. London, Phoenix, and uh, Vegas. We'll be talking in the recap mode on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast as well real quick, right? Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it as always. We're getting to a nice groove and to a nice schedule. There we go. We love all of this. Thank you for finding us however you did so. Social media link, etc. Follow and subscribe for the Big Fight Weekend Preview. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us. Enjoy the fights. Bye.